Ms. Joel. Uh, follow them out to the back, and it'd be great. We're looking forward to what you are learning today as you open God's Word together and sing some songs. Let us pray for our teachers as they teach our kids and uh, for, the t- for the kids as well, that they may know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and that they may grow to be men and women who love God with everything that they are and have. Just a couple of things as a reminder for you. On June 27th, which is next week, we're going to be having our members meeting. Uh, we don't have to post, sorry, we don't have to postpone it anymore. Um, so we can gather together. So that'll be right after the service right here. Uh, just a quick little update as to what is happening. Um, and as we continue to do that, let us just continue to pray that God may be glorified as we continue to worship our awesome God together as a church. And as we do begin to kind of gather and get back into some sort of normal, whatever that may look like, uh, we are looking for people to be able to serve, some of the youngest of our children. So if you're interested in helping out in that capacity in the nursery, please let us know. Uh, but in the meantime, we love kids. So... We like hearing them, too, because we love kids, so that's okay. So let us continue to worship our awesome God together. All right, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for who you are and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm so amazed at how you are working in and through people here at, at Nolwood. Lord, I, I'm thankful for today as we take time to just reflect upon past, or on, not pastors, on, on fathers, and, and how you have called men into our own lives who have walked with us, who have encouraged us, sometimes rebuked us, and been an examples to us of what it means to be men of God. Lord, we pray for the men here at Nolwood, and we pray that indeed they may grow in the grace and the knowledge of you, that they may continue to or become examples of us worthy of following. Uh, Lord, we just praise you for how you have brought men into our lives, both biologically and spiritually. We mourn for those who, maybe this is also a hard time as well. But God, we do thank you for this time. Lord, we pray for gospel preaching churches here in London. We pray that you would use your church here in London to declare your goodness, a goodness that is, well, you're good all the time, regardless of our circumstances. May we be bold witnesses, and Lord, we specifically think of Compass Community and Pastor Joey, that you would use them and the elders there, uh, that you'd give them wisdom uh, as they seek to shepherd your people, that you would use that church to be a bright, shining light in their community and in London, that you would bless them as they seek to be faithful disciples themselves who make disciples of Jesus Christ. But God, as we continue to worship you, as we open up your word together, I pray that you are indeed glorified. God, there is no possible way that I can do this on my own, so Lord, will you give me the strength that is needed? Lord, I pray that you would use this time, that you would use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. John chapter 6 is where we'll be at today as we continue looking at the gospel of John. In John chapter 6, Uh, It's a long chapter, and Pastor Matt, a couple of weeks ago, continued on as we looked at Jesus being the bread of life. And as we get into this section of the passage, we are reminded again that Jesus is the bread of life. And what's interesting about this passage is that Jesus doesn't stop to explain himself. The misunderstanding of his audience doesn't stop it. He actually keeps going. He actually exasperates it and pushes more and more onto this, that he is indeed the bread of life. 
So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to John chapter 6. We'll be starting at verse 41 and going down to 51, which says this, the word of the Lord says this. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the bread, the living bread, that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And this is the word of the Lord. Ever gone fishing? I've gone fishing. I like to fish. I find it relaxing. Some people loathe it and hate it, but I don't know. There's just something about being in the boats, uh, the calm water, just kind of in the, in the front of it, kind of leaning back and just casting. It's relaxing. It's good. I grew up going up north to a small town called Manitowage. People down here in southern Ontario talk about fishing, and they talk about going fishing. I'm like, that's not fishing. Unless you're dragging a boat through the bush, it's not fishing. That's my mom. I've lost shoes. I've lost lures. I've lost fishing rods. <laughs> All while fishing. But it's been a relaxing time. Don't get me wrong. And I remember as you're fishing, as you're casting out and you're fishing, and you're reeling it back in. In fact, I got a new fishing rod for Father's Day, so I'm excited. I'm going to use it. We, uh, I remember you catch that fish, right? The hook catches, and it, it gets tough, right? It, it gets, the slack is gone, and then you begin to reel it in, and you're like, yeah, that's going to be a big one. That's going to, and then the fisherman story always comes into play where it's like, it's this big. It's probably more like this, but, you know, you, it feels like this big, and you're reeling in, you're working hard at it, and there's this tension, and there's, and you're trying to draw this fish into your boat and catch it. It's sometimes it's a lot of work, but here we see as we look at this same thing, kind of, Jesus talks about drawing to himself. So as we look at how the Father draws to himself in verses 51 and on, we have to think of it that way. As, uh, like you're fishing, like you're casting out, and, and you caught the fish, and you're, you're trying to reel it in. There's this tension, there's this resistance that is happening, because what fish actually wants to get out of the water, right? If it's, if it's not hard to get in, I, I would doubt that you actually have a fish, but but as Jesus comes and he talks about how the Father draws to Jesus in verses 51 or 41 and onwards. In verse 41, Jesus comes along and the Jews are actually here and they start grumbling about Jesus. And they're grumbling because of this simple thing. Because before, as Pastor Matt preached about a couple weeks ago, he says, I am the bread of life. And they're comparing Jesus to how he, how he is the bread of life compared to what Moses gave them with the manna coming down from heaven. 
And they're like, well, this isn't making any sense. Moses was greater, manna came down, we actually have bread, look, it was like good. How are you from heaven? And they're grumbling about it. They don't believe that he is the one who sustains. He's not the one that he can give life. And as he continues on, we begin to see that this is very similar, as we remember, that this is very similar to the language that we saw in Exodus as the Israelites grumbled. It's very similar. And we have that flashback into Exodus as Jesus begins to address the grumbling. And as we look at grumbling, grumbling is complaining. And grumbling, especially in the Old Testament, was a rejection of God and God's messenger. So Jesus begins to address it. Because they said to him, in verse 42, is not this Jesus? In the Greek, it's actually a sneer. They're mocking him. This isn't the bread of life that comes from heaven. We know his parents. We know Joseph. He made me a table not that long ago. How could he be? They could not comprehend the fact of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ stepped down from his throne, was born of the Virgin Mary, and will one day rise. And because they can't believe that, they can't believe he is the bread of life. They sneer at him with contempt. They're saying, we know who Jesus' parents are. What right does he have to claim a nobler, even divine heritage than mine? They couldn't wrap their minds around who Jesus is. They couldn't wrap their minds around how Jesus is, as we saw in John 1, John 1, verse 14, the word of God. They couldn't understand that. And as I said in the opening, Jesus doesn't accommodate his message to his audience. Those who are hearing this revelation are confronted to respond one of two ways. And there is only two ways when confronted with Jesus Christ. There's no middle ground with Jesus. There's no riding on the fence with Jesus. And if you ever tried to ride a fence, there is either belief or there's rejection. There is no riding the fence with Jesus. And Jesus confronts the Jews who are grumbling's unbelief. And he begins to expose them for who he is, for who they are. So in 43, Jesus says to them, do not grumble. And grumbling is an insult. It's even more than that. It's even dangerous. Because Jesus here, he warns against trying to sort out their own minds. You can kind of picture them as they're grumbling together in their little packs of people. And they're trying to talk things through and kind of come up with their own way of doing things. And they're trying to figure it out. But here's the thing about trying to figure something out on my own, especially when it comes to Jesus being the bread of life, is that it takes away from what they should be focusing about, which is God's grace. Lightfoot, he's a commentary, he says this in his commentary about John chapter 6. He says, So long as a man remains and is content to remain, confident of his own ability without divine help to assess experience and the meaning of experience, he cannot come to the Lord. He cannot believe. Only the Father can move him to this step. 
with its incalculable and final results. It's the Father who draws. And anybody who comes to Jesus thinking that you can come to Jesus on your own does not understand how Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. And they're having a hard time here. In verse 44, it says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the negative of what we saw in verse 37 that Pastor Matt preached about. All that the Father gives me will come to me, Jesus says. There's this idea out there that God gives grace to everyone. Well, there's common grace, but this is the type of grace that we call prevenient grace. It's the idea that God's grace doesn't always result in someone coming to Jesus. That his grace is resistible. But what does the text say? What does Jesus himself say? He says in verse 44, unless the Father who sent me draws him. In 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, he says. We've got to hold also, though, uh, on a side note, we have to hold it with what Jesus says in verse 5, or chapter 5 of verse 40, which says about coming to him. But how are they coming? The Bible stresses that you and I are not just sick and weak people. We're not just sick and weak. There's not some sort of remnant of how we can help ourselves. The Bible describes us as drowning. As not just drowning, but at the bottom of the ocean. Dead, bloated, wet, logged bodies. Dead. Drowning. There's this idea that somehow Jesus is like the life jacket, that I'm drowning, and if you throw me the life jacket, I can grab hold onto it. But what does God's word say? In Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Last I checked, as I was saying, dead is more like a dead, waterlogged body at the bottom of the ocean. Dead don't generally just start walking around. And last I checked, dead people can't give themselves CPR. Possible, I guess. Not, no, it's not. The way one can come is only by having and receiving a new life. And Jesus is the new bread. He is the bread of life. And God is the one who draws people to himself Before God gave me a new heart, I was no more able to come to Christ than a dead man is able to rise and walk. I do not have life in myself. Jesus has life in himself because the Father has given it to him. We see this in Romans 8, 7 and 1, which is a beautiful passage of who God is and, and and what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. But as we look at this passage, as, as Jesus begins to talk about draw, drawing this Greek word, this is the same word that we see in John chapter 21 as, as Jesus has been resurrected and he sees his disciples out in the boat and they're fishing and he asks them a question, have you caught anything? And they respond with, no, we haven't caught anything. And Jesus tells them, well, flip it over to the other side. And what happens? They begin to haul in the haul of all times. 
an actual true fishing story. They're hauling it in. They're, They're fighting the resistance of the fish that were caught in their net. That's the type of word that is used here. It's the type of word that we see in Acts 16, verse 19, as Peter and Silas are, are, sorry, Paul and Silas are dragged before the civil authorities. This isn't some sort of like kind of passive, making life easy type of, I'm like just chilling in the lazy river and someone pulls me in sort of thing. The Bible actually, is not only am I dead in my sins, but I was resistant to it. And he draws. In all cases, the idea of resistance that is overcome by superior force. By nature, you and I, in our sin, are absolutely and completely resistant to God. The Bible calls us enemies of God, not frenemies enemies of God and unless overcome by God's inward working in my heart and in your heart there is no way we can't and will not come to Christ I love Jeremiah 31 verses 33 to 44 34 which is a beautiful passage again of what God does for us as he says behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt my covenant that they broke Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this covenant, he says in verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel for those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into them and I will write it on their hearts. God is the one who draws to himself. And he does that, as Jesus says in verse 45, as one who will, who, God who will teach, we will be taught by God. We'll be illuminated, it will be implanted, the illumination will be implanted into our hearts as he draws us to himself. To be taught by God is to have the truth of his word impressed upon our minds and our hearts. God graciously changes our hearts, which enables us to believe that he is indeed the bread of life. So we're not the ones who are grumbling that Jesus couldn't possibly be that. I love how Acts describes Lydia's conversion. In Acts, Lydia is a friend of the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul preaches the gospel to Lydia, and Lydia responds in this amazing thing. In, in 16, 14, it says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This is what God does in conversion. He opens our hearts. We see this in Ezekiel. We see this in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. God draws by giving a new heart that enables us to believe. And in verse 47, we see this thing where Jesus begins to force the question upon the people that are listening as he questions their belief. Because as he keeps going on, he keeps pushing that point, I am the bread of life. 
and nobody can come to me unless the Father draws him to himself. Jesus is the sacrificial death that spares others from death and gives life. I've been just walking through 1 Kings as my personal time, my personal devotions in my Bible reading, and Elijah uh, comes out, and he, he wanted to show who is the true God. So if you can recount the story with me, remember there's the Baal worshipers and the Baal prophets and all those Baal people, and the people of God have actually become completely apostate to who God is. They deny that he is indeed Yahweh, the God who created all things, who can give them life. They have broken the commandments of God and have worshipped other ones. And God, in his grace and his mercy, sends Elijah. And as he's, and it's a contest to see who would win. And he gives the Baal worshippers the chance to do it first, right? Make your temple, make your, make your, your, uh, your altar, put your bowl on it, and pray. So they prayed. The Baal prophets prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, beating themselves. They eventually started beating themselves to their God, their false God, who was not hearing And nothing happens. So Elijah comes and he does what? He builds another ark and he says, keep pouring water on it. Pour, 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 pour. And all he does is he prays, God, if you're there, do something. And fire comes down from heaven and devours it. Devours it. Fire comes down in verse 38. What is the response of the people? Verse 39. They praise God for who he is because he is indeed God and Yahweh. But here's the point. God gathers glory to himself by drawing people doused and drowning in sin to faith in his son, Jesus Christ. God gathers glory to himself by drawing people doused and drowning in sin to faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Outside of Christ, I'm sopping wet. I'm a waterlogged body. But for some reason, God came down, he brought me out of that, and he gave me new life. If you are in Christ, this is you too. Two things that come out of this first section. First, if you are in Christ, we praise God for what he has done for you because it was only him. Outside of that beautiful work of Christ in your life, you remain dead in your sins and your trespasses. The fact that you're sitting here or you're online and you're praising God and you're worshiping him and you're opening up his word together, the fact that you're doing those things is a complete act of God. Nothing of your doing. God is the one who draws to himself. The second thing that kind of comes through this is this, is that what are the implications for this when we go out seeking to be faithful disciples and make disciples of Jesus Christ? What is our job as disciples of Jesus Christ? We go out making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is our job. What are the implications of this? You can't persuade people to become Christian. You can't. You could have the best arguments in the entire world. 
he could have a PhD in PhDs. <laughs> and you can't persuade people to come to Christ. So what does the Bible say we should do when it comes to our evangelism? Our witness must focus on the word of God. That's our focus. See, Ezekiel 36, with the Baal prophets, moves very quickly to Ezekiel 37, which is probably one of my most mind-blowing past. I love Ezekiel 37, because that's the story of the dry bones. And there's a valley of dry bones scattered all over the valley, and not just like, you know, wet, moist bones, dry bones which means they've been out baking in the sun for who knows how long. And what's amazing is that God comes and he tells Ezekiel to do something, just one thing. He says, preach. He says, preach. And as Ezekiel begins to preach, God is the one who uses his word to bring life into these dry bones so that not only they come together and joints are beginning to be made and flesh and muscle, and they come up and they begin to praise God. The implications of this passage are that our witness must focus on the word of God. Preach the word. If you've ever been to an ordination, that is the thing that they always tell the pastor. I charge you, in the name of God, preach the word. Why? Because it's through that that life is given. Nothing else. Second thing is this. We need to pray for those who don't know him. Because he is the one who draws We need to be on our knees praying for our siblings, our family members, our neighbors, those who we love dearly, that God, you would draw them to yourself. A, help me to be bold, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to preach the word, because it's through that that you will give life. But God, I pray that through that you would make these dry bones, that you would make them into flesh. The third thing is this, is don't get, be, don't get discouraged. Because, boy, it's discouraging, isn't it? I was talking to a friend, pastor, last week, and they were talking, the church historically has strong roots in their community. They, they've always been strong in evangelism and reaching out with the gospel and helping the poor in their community. And they said to me that over the last few years, two, three years, they have not seen any fruit. It's discouraging. God, what's going on? Like, we're preaching your word. Like, what can we have? Like, what's, this isn't working. For when he said, no one comes to me unless the father who sent draws him, Jesus knew that the father draws many, including least likely converts, though. So just as the lack of food did not keep Jesus from feeding the 5,000, human limitations today do not hinder the sovereign working God in salvation. Don't be discouraged. Let us look at no one as well in that and say that person, he or she, they cannot be saved. How dare you? Instead, let us keep preaching God's word. 
Let us keep pointing to the one who is the bread of life, who can make these dry bones live again. Let us keep preaching to the one who can make the dead rise, the ones who can make us right before a holy God again so that we can be and do exactly what we were created to do, which is to praise our awesome God. Let us continue on in that discouragement. Don't be discouraged. Let us continue to live in a way that commends our witness and let us keep praying, never giving up on anyone because it's God who draws, not me. Let us continue on in that. And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, this isn't in me either. I'm not in Christ. I have not come to Christ. And I will tell you today, don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. None of the things that are keeping you back from Christ can stand against God's mighty grace. If he is drawing you. If God is speaking to your heart, come to Jesus. Then rejoice, for Jesus says, whoever believes has eternal life. Then you will be free from the bondage of sin over your mind, heart, and will, because Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 36, that those the Son sets free are free indeed. All this means that Jesus, God, is the one who draws. And it's hard, I think, for me, especially me, because I have loved ones, I have loved ones, I have people I love dearly, and I'm like, God, why can't you just call them to yourself? Like, what, like I don't know. It's hard. But at the same time, there's also people where you, you're talking to them because the Apostle Paul dealt with this too. He gave the best sermon you probably ever heard on Mars Hill and everyone denied him. It's God who draws. And as we, the people of God, go out, let us rest in that. Let us simply be faithful because God will bless that. Let us be faithful. In verses 52 onward, we see that Jesus also sustains Unless you eat the flesh, as Jesus says, of the Son of Man and drink his blood. See, the interesting thing about this is that Jesus is actually saying something that's incredibly offensive because the Mosaic law, the law that Moses passed down in the Old Testament, actually forbid cannibalism. So you can understand some of the confusion that's going on. If you've been recently converted and you've ever come to a, a, a communion service and we're talking about eating the bread and drinking the blood, People, I know, I've met people, I've talked to them, where they're kind of like, what are you doing? (laughs) That's crazy talk. But Jesus is coming here, and he's actually talking about something even more scandalous than this. He's talking about the cross and and the penal substitutionary atonement that Jesus does for us on the cross, that he absorbs the wrath of God that is meant for me. He's talking about trusting in his work on the cross. Jesus is talking about that substitutionary offering of himself on there. His flesh is the bread that I will give for the life of the world, as John 56, 51 says. See, Jesus points to his atoning death on the cross. Jesus didn't die so that we might be saved by taking the Lord's Supper, as we were talking about, right, with Dave. That would actually kind of lead more to a Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation. 
And his teaching here doesn't point us even to the Lord's Supper, but what he's doing here is he's pointing us to what he has done for us on the cross. That if you want to have eternal life, part of that trusting, that what it means to trust is to have Jesus as your bread of life, you must feed on him. But what does it mean to feed on him? Because we're not talking about cannibalism. Food is a good thing, right? As I've come to the conclusion, I really enjoy food. I love it. I think it's great. (laughs) The problem with me is that I think it's too good. We all need it, though. God created us to take it in, to enjoy it. He gave us taste buds for a reason. I remember once growing up, we were in a church and we had a potluck, go figure, and it was like an international one. So everyone who was from like another country would bring whatever was from their country. And it was a great way because I love it. I love how God brings people of all nations, all people together to praise God. I love it. And they bring their food with them, which is great. <laughs> right? And you enjoy these things. Food has certain value and you can't live without it. And that's what Jesus begins to talk about to us. See, Jesus' flesh and blood really are good, and drink is what Jesus is using to, sorry, Jesus' flesh and blood are really food and drink. So what Jesus is using to give us is a picture that we need him to have eternal life. We can't have eternal life without Jesus. And Jesus comes and he uses this word abide. Abide is one of John, the writer of the Gospel of John's favorite words. If you are in Christ, you will continue to be in Christ. This is an important word for John. He uses it to describe the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He also uses it for the relationship between Christians and Jesus. So what what does this mean? What does it mean to abide in Christ? It means that if you are in Christ, if you are feeding off of his blood and flesh, you are continuing to identify with him. It means that you continue as a Christian. It means that you continue to have saving faith. And the outcome of that is a transformed life. You can't encounter Jesus without a transformed life. By the presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus remains with us as help, blessing, life, and personal presence. Because he is life. There is no life outside of Jesus. To abide in Jesus is to have life. So those who feed on Jesus, those who rest on him, are the ones who will have eternal life. He is the one who will sustain us and is sustaining. So let me ask you, how often do you need to eat? I think I need to at least eat three times a day. Maybe five. (laughs) Maybe. Right? You ever watch Lord of the Rings or read the books, Lord of the Rings, and and they have like the hobbits, right? They have like four breakfasts. I'm exaggerating, but I'm not either at the same time. They just always eat. We all like it. We need to eat. And Jesus comes and he's saying, I am the bread of life. 
you need to feed on me. So what are you feeding on? As a Christian, as you're walking in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, are you feeding on Netflix or are you feeding on the word of God? The life of this world is not true life. It it won't last. The life of owning fine possessions won't last. Instagram is a constant advertisement of things I don't have. Same with Facebook, or things that I'm not. Everything in this world seems to push me to think that the things that I can find life in are my possessions, enjoying a a pleasurable lifestyle, or or feeding my cravings through sin. But this is not life. That's not life that satisfies the soul. It continues a rat race that we will continue on. See, Jesus comes and he says, I am the bread of life. It is a bread of life that everything could be taken away, but I still have Jesus and he is enough. Folks, we're entering into a world where we will be tested on this more now than we ever will be and have ever in any one of your lifetimes. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? And Jesus says, I am the one who can satisfy He states this dreadful reality. Unless you trust him, you have no life. And when the Christless life comes to a bitter and ends and death, it will lead you to judgment and eternal condemnation. Life is forever. Everyone has eternal life. You ever think of that? The question is, is if it fits with Jesus or in hell. So, faith in Christ is necessary as we look at this. This is the first thing we take from this passage, this section here. Faith in Christ is necessary. We must eat bread to have its benefits, right? Like imagine the torture it would be if you're somebody in your family or whoever you live with made you a fresh loaf of bread every morning and you just sat there staring at it. It's cruel and unusual punishment, You must eat bread to have its benefits. Jesus' sacrifice gains us nothing unless we confess our need of forgiveness and trust in the cross. The second thing is this. Faith in Jesus is personal. No one can eat the bread for you. So now imagine that person makes the bread and they sit in front of you and they're like, here, let me eat that for you while you sit there. That's ridiculous, right? At some point, you have to ingest that. No one can believe for you. To feed, you must pick up the bread and take it to your mouth and chew on it and swallow it. So kids, this is important. This is important to parents. It has to be you. You are the one who has to eat of the bread. You can't rely upon your parents and parents. Your kids cannot rely upon you to digest the word of God. You need to be in it on your own. You need to chew it and savor it. Parents, you can't believe in Christ for your child. Spouses, your spouses can't believe in Christ for you. If you're sitting in the pew or watching online, the church cannot believe for you. 
you must pick up your Bible. For it is the word of God that we feed on Jesus. Take it into your hearts and mind and meditate on its promises and believe on Christ for your salvation. And the third thing is this, faith in Christ is in his cross. You can't just love the story of Jesus' birth. There's a skit by a guy's name, uh, Skit Guys. And it's a Christmas skit. So there's two of the men, they're decorating the tree, and it begins a conversation about baby Jesus. And then the guy over here, he begins to clue, and he's like, he thinks baby Jesus stayed as a baby. And then he's like, you know, baby Jesus was the same Jesus who died on the cross. And the guy's like, whoa, what you mean? I'm like, yes. You must believe in the cross. We need to believe in his teaching and praise his perfect example in life. To believe in Jesus is to trust that he died the death that our sins deserved, that my sins deserved. To suffer on my behalf, on your behalf, as an atonement for my sin. So what are you feeding on? For the Christian, eternal life is always mediated through Jesus. But there's more to what Jesus is saying here. There is no genuine life that is independent of Jesus. John 6, 55, For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. There is no genuine spiritual life that is independent of Jesus. What are you feeding on? What do we do with all of this? When we look at this, a couple of things come out, right? The first thing is this, is that Jesus is the all-satisfying bread of life that comes from heaven. We learn about something called conversion, and that conversion, that God is the one who draws people to himself, and there are implications in that in ourselves, because we praise God for what he has done, and I am humbled by the fact that God, for some reason, chose me. I don't know why. I didn't do anything to deserve it. I'm a mess. But God chose me. And that I praise him in that. In every circumstance, I can praise God for that because that is never going to be taken away from me. That's why I can praise God in all circumstances. It may be through tears, but I can praise him in all circumstances. It also means when it comes to me sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, that it is Christ, who God himself, who calls people to himself, who draws people to himself. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room to be a faithful person. I just have to be faithful. And the beautiful thing is that God takes my messed up words and my attempt And somehow he uses it to bring glory to his name and draw people to himself. And I praise him for that too. I praise God that people's salvation is not dependent upon me because if it's so, we're in a lot of trouble. But doesn't that make the stress a lot lower? If you are in Christ, we praise God for what he has done. And there are implications But there's also no genuine life that is independent of Jesus. Faith 
in Jesus is necessary. It is personal, and it is in the cross, because Jesus is the all-satisfying bread of life that comes from heaven. Let us continue to praise our God together. Father God, we just thank you for who you are and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I'm humbled by the fact that you have called us to you yourself. Lord, that we can somehow just even gather together and praise you. God, the fact that we can be here, people of different nations and different generations and different likes and just praise you is, a, is evidence of how you call people to yourself. So Lord, I pray that we would praise you in spirit and truth. Lord, I pray that as disciples, that we would be faithful disciples, that we would go out and declare the good news of Jesus Christ, knowing that it is you who draws people to yourself, not us. And I pray that that would free us to be faithful, that we don't have to be the smartest person in the room, we just have to be the faithful one. I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in and through Nolwood. And I pray that as we leave this place, that we would be faithful witnesses to you. Amen.